Welcome to episode 233 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spore. Joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Eno Saris. Eno, welcome back from the holiday weekend. How are you? I'm good. I knee-deep in fecal matter this weekend. Uh-oh. That's never yeah, good. Well, trying I, to potty train one of them, and the other one uh, had uh, bronchitis, so he got diarrhea from the um, oh my gosh from the pills. So I, I, I was like literally knee-deep in, in fecal matter this weekend. <laughs> I was about neck-deep in water because we, we've been ravaged by rain here in central Texas and Austin specifically. So yeah. I don't know. I'll tell you, I, I, I would still – I'd still stick with mine over yours though in terms of, in you, terms of a trade. You, suffer from this not somehow? horribly uh, especially compared to others um S- saturday night we lost power at 9 30 at night and it wasn't back on until six in the morning so you know c- kind of lost the evening there but again compared to what some other folks have dealt with in terms of their houses being flooded uh mm-hmm. their vet you know people missing report reports of deaths and things like that so as far as the spectrum of damage goes we got stuck on or we got f- favorably on the lower end there not too bad Mm. But just lots and lots and lots of rain, uh, which Texas pretty much always needs. So, you know, if, if it would if it just wasn't so disastrous, I, I would be welcoming it, um, you know. So anyway, let's dive in. We got tons to talk about with the big weekend. Jason and I took went ahead and took Sunday off to enjoy the holidays. So you and I get to cover a lot of the news that's happened over the weekend. We're going to start with injuries and we're going to start at a position that's been injury riddled this year. And just as we're getting some guys back, two other guys get hurt. And and I don't even know if we, we consider this one a loss because we've been dealing with this guy forever in terms of uh, injury right now. And it's Devin Mezzarocco. You know, he's never really gotten his season off the ground. He's played in 23 games, but it's been so sporadic. We were kind of waiting for this. Uh, honestly, his, his 13 or 14 games played in May have been a total waste. Um, he is just... Let's see, what's that going to be? He's, he's six for 23 for the month, which is 261, which isn't too bad uh, as a number, but he just hasn't played enough. And, and I don't really know what they're waiting for with Mesoraco. I guess they really wanted to be certain that it was too too much to do uh, with the hips. So he's on the disabled list. And that kind of pairs with Yasmani Grandal going on the concussion disabled list. And then, as I mentioned, these two things happen as we get some guys back with Jan Gomes is back and being eased in. And then Jonathan Lucroy, Travis Darnot are targeting June 1st returns. And Matt Wieters is targeting a June 4th return. So you can feel free to talk about any one of those uh, six guys that you want or just the position at large. How's, how's catcher treated you this year in terms of the guys that you have um, and how much you've been affected by the injuries? I, you know, I just, I, I, I just generally fade the position. I just, um, for the most part, I, I think the catching prospects they take longer to, to establish themselves. So I don't like young catchers, and then uh, the catchers often go over the hill uh, really quickly when their knees go. So I don't really like old catchers. Um, so then they don't play a lot of plate appearances for the most part. So I just don't like catchers. You know. Yeah. And no, so I, I hear that. For the most part, um, it, it kind of just it just seems like every other year and I, and I just reach and look and find somebody on the wire and, and, and plug and play. I mean, I got Yadier Molina uh, to fill in for uh, Jonathan Lucroy in one of my leagues. And I was like, okay, 
<laughs> I mean, and, and the way the way Molina had been playing, I, I under I kind of understood maybe you know depending on the league type why somebody might move away from it. It had been so bad, but now he's he's turning it around. So that that's a pretty nice uh, move there for you. Molina's been much better in May um, altogether. He's hitting 246 with a 613 OPS to end April, and uh, the power still isn't there, but Molina's hitting 318 uh, for the month of May. But again, with just a 365 slug, so it's still been a little bit light. But but you'll take it, and, and and just the way the position's been, I'll take anybody with a pulse who's playing every day, let alone somebody with all-star potential like like Molina. So it's it's been really tough. I I share your general outlook, especially in terms of youth at the position. Um, I tried not to punt too much this year in terms of just leaving it for the dollar guys at the end because it doesn't have a generally good return. Uh, Baseball HQ published that in their forecaster as well. So guys I was going with a lot included, you know, one of the guys we're talking about getting hurt, Yasmani Grandal. Thankfully, it's only, you know, the seven-day deal, but concussions are always worrisome. Uh, just, you know, anytime, I mean, it's, it's a brain injury, so it's always worrisome. Hopefully he can get back and continue. Um, of the, of the four that are headed back, I guess Gomes is kind of easing his way. in. I think he's only played one or two games and then Lucroy, Darno to Weeders. Who do you value the most out of those four? Uh, still Lucroy. I mean, he, he's going to have a good batting average. Um, and they're going to probably, I mean, hopefully play him at first, uh, some and to, to pump up against lefties, to pump up his value. Um, I love TDA though too, and and Gomes. I mean, it's a good crew that's coming back. Um, and uh, you know, I, if any of them on your wire, they shouldn't be. Uh, I agree. And, and if you're stuck with one of the guys going out, uh, just wanted to mention a couple guys that I think are deeper league guys that I actually like a little bit. That's Francisco Cervelli. Um, you know, he's going to be in there every day because he's a great framer, uh, and he's going to just hit. You know, 290, 300, it's just what he does. It's going to be empty, but that's that's what he does, and, and it can be useful. Wilson Ramos in the in the in the you know in the lighter leagues and the in the you know 10 and 12 team leagues, I think Wilson Ramos can be useful. Um, and then uh, I don't know, man. I think Chris Ionetta is is starting to get it back together again, especially in you know two catcher OBP type leagues. Um, I think that he can be useful again. That that that's a name I've I have always liked. He got off to such a rotten start, did Ionetta, that I was I was starting to grow concerned. I mean, but it just couldn't it couldn't be as bad as he was uh, unless he was injured or just for some reason completely toast. And you you had to think that he wasn't. I mean, Ionetta came out of April with a point ninety zero ninety three average and a three seventeen OPS. Uh, so that that's kind of ridiculous. He's hitting two eighty six with an eight seventy three in the month of May. Carlos Perez is taking some of his time, but maybe the extra time off has kind of has helped, maybe helped the Ionetta, uh, you know, clear his head, kind of get back on track, and it's working. Whatever it is, it's working. It might just be simple regression, and there's nothing to read into the days off or whatever. But whatever's happening with Ionetta, he's getting back to his level, um, and and Carlos Perez isn't really a huge threat to take. Tons of playing time from him. He's just a better backup than they had in Drew Buteris. So uh, good names there that you mentioned on the on the low end of catching too, because there are tons of two catcher leagues out there. Here's one more that's sort of in between. I think maybe in your 14 to 16 team leagues, uh, Jason Castro. Uh, you know, he hasn't been like great so far, but he hasn't but been god awful either. Right, and he hasn't been hurt, uh, which has been a big thing. His knees, and I think there's two things that are that actually speak well to Jason Castro. He told me in uh, 2013 that he was actually trying to hit more fly balls, and that was his big power year. 
um, was 2013. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, last year, if it was the knees or whatever, he, he hit more ground balls again. But this year, he's back to the same power profile, the same batted ball mix that he had in 2013. So I think he could be, you know, like a 20 home run guy, and he's showing that kind of power again. And then he's mixing that back up again with some of his better strikeout and walk numbers. So I think what you're seeing is good discipline at the plate, some of his best, uh, his, you know, swing strike rates of his career, plus, uh, you know, a batted ball mix that's, that's set up for, for, for power. So I, I think Castro is an interesting buy low uh, in leagues where he, his kind of production would matter. I think uh, I would project him for the rest of the season a little bit better than some of his numbers um, on our site. So maybe 245 batting average and you know 10 to 12 homers so on the i like him on the on the better end of his projections you know and if things really work out for castro because you mentioned that the batted ball profile is looking solid and the pull percentage is up you've always mentioned that that speaks well of, of power too it's even better than what we saw in that 2013 season so maybe you know there's a there's a small chance on castro that he, that he can reach his pace of homers which is currently 24 that'll leave him 19 in the bank and I, I you know that's that's the high end i think that's playing a lot of games too so it's unlikely to get all the way up there but uh, if you start projecting the the upper teens again like we saw in 2013 that's another good name there i really liked castro during that all-star season i thought what we saw from him was pretty legitimate obviously it fell back last year but that's health related i think health is really the only thing that's held him back the skills he's always had quality skills so that's another good name there um so that catcher we'll stay on top of it as much as we can it's just been it's been a pain in the butt this year more so than than ever recently i think i i don't feel like catcher's been as ravaged uh, uh, injury-wise, too, in addition to already being a tough position. Let's move on to an easier position to fill, and this isn't even something that you necessarily have to uh, fill in for yet. It's just a day-to-day -day issue with Avi, uh, Avisel Garcia's knee. He left Monday's game, but uh, yeah, I'm not, like I said, not too worried about this as a major deal. I really wanted to use it to bring him up to talk a bit about him because this was a guy that both of us had some affection for coming into the season, and he's been playing really well so far. Um, if, if you do the pace game, it's 17 homers, 75 ribbies, 84 runs, and a 327 average. The average has been elite, but it's a 411 batting average on balls and play for Garcia, so it's reasonable to expect the batting average to come down um, a good bit. But even if you're looking at something like a 280 figure for him, if I can get those other numbers, uh, you know, seven mid teens, homers, upper seventies, RBIs and runs, I'll take it. I, I like what we're seeing from Avi Garcia. The one thing, the piece that um, at least I did and, and some other uh, Avisel Garcia believers thought could be there would be some sneaky speed because uh, he he is pretty athletic and, and can run for his size. I know he's called, you know, mini Miggy or whatever, but not that great on the base path. And I just don't know if it's going to be a part of his game. They might just shut it down altogether. He's one for four this year, eight for 17 for his career. So maybe scrap that from Avisel Garcia's game, but the rest of it's been shaping up nicely. What do you, what do you like so far uh, through 40 games for Garcia? Yeah, I think it's been a long time. Uh, in 2012 was the last time he reached double digits at one level. So um, I think, you know, it's just been, you know, it's been, he's gotten enough, of an idea of what pitchers are trying to do that if he was going to steal a lot, he would have stolen more. And then you got to add in the knee injury. So I think, I think we'll be lucky to see him uh, steal five this year. Still uh, five, I think is about average uh, for per lineup slot. So he won't be hurting you in steals like some of the zero guys. Um, 
So that's a good news. The other good news that I that I like out of his line is uh, that he's you know halved his pop up rate from last year, which was a uh, big issue because it was up at a, like eleven percent or something, wasn't it? Or wait, yeah. what's the calculation that you do? It's not just the infield fly ball percentage. What do you do? You multiply it by the fly ball percentage. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's pop up percentage, which I like a little bit better. And it was only a little bit worse than league average. Uh, once you factor in the fact that he doesn't hit a lot of fly balls, so. Um, he doesn't hit a ton of pop-ups, but now he's got it really low. I mean, now he's uh, his pop-up percentage is an asset. I mean, it says that he has got a, a decent, um, you know, plane to his to his swing. So the fact that he can get power out of a swing that's hitting two ground balls per fly ball, I think, speaks uh, to that sort of stuff that we've talked about with the scouts liking his power mm-hmm. and and liking uh, what he what he's going to project into. Now he's probably going to, you know, it's probably. His power peak won't come this year. I mean, he's 23. But it also won't come this year because he's hitting so many ground balls. And I think what we'll see is over the next couple of years, he'll hit you know, a little bit less, a little bit fewer ground balls. And we'll, we'll see a year when he hits 25 homers. Um, you know, I don't think it'll be this year. But uh, you know, so sometime soon, I think we'll see a, a nice batting average with 25 homers. And, and we'll say, yeah, I think uh, Avisail was supposed to be good. Yeah, this is still a long-term uh profile that i'm very interested in i'm not necessarily selling out of Crazy this year whiff. what's that Crazy whiffs though i mean the 18 percent swing strike rate for his career is just crazy it, it is i mean he he's up there hacking for sure um right now it's either you know he'll strike out sometimes but crushing line drives left and right so uh yeah. you know there's, there's still a lot to like but it's an incomplete profile for sure uh, again, I'm not necessarily looking to sell him, but if there was, you know, maybe a bigger Abisail Garcia lover in my league, and and they, you know, they saw the two months worth of quality production, and say, you know what, I got to get in now. I might be open to selling him, but I am a pretty big fan, um, and in a long term situation, I'd be more inclined to just go ahead and hang on to Garcia. You know, his his strikeout numbers. I mean, they're set to improve uh, for the next couple of years. So even though they're not great right now. You know, now's not necessarily the time to get out either. No, you know, 23 percent each. At least it's holding steady. You don't you don't you know, ideally something below the 20s would be great, especially if he is going to be a batting average asset, which is part of, you know, uh, his game and really can be. Garcia's got a 327. I mentioned this year. That's a huge Babbitt, but he can be a batting average asset. You'd like to see it with a high teen strikeout percentage, maybe at the most. Uh, It's just it's an evolving profile. It's one to to continue to to eyeball though for sure, and maybe go buy in your deeper leagues or, or in your keeper leagues for sure. Uh, whereas redraft, like I said, I might entertain trading him. Uh, Mike Morse finally DL'd. You know, I, I'm not saying he's been hurt all year, but but something had to give. It just wasn't working out. Um, you know, Morse is a guy who you know put together a pretty nice season for the Giants last year. You figure, okay, he can his power should play anywhere. Miami shouldn't completely kill him, and yet he's been brutal there. Uh, Mike Morse in 138 plate appearances has just a 5.57 OPS this year with with the Marlins, and so now a finger sprain puts him on the disabled list. Whatever they could to get him on there, uh, I'm, I'm sure they were just looking for a reason to finally. DL him and get somebody else in there. It's such a nightmare over there in, in Miami. Now, the one good thing is that uh, the, the, his replacement, Justin Boer, who's been taking time from him already, uh, obviously now gets gets 
an, a bigger opportunity to play, and he's been excellent. Justin Bohr is a 27-year-old. He's a Rule 5 guy from two years ago with Miami. They you know, they hung on to him all last year, so they get to keep him this year. And, and he's been great in his spare time here, just 57 plate appearances with a 960 OPS and, and, and a couple of homers. I don't think he's a stud, but he reminds me of some of those guys that like Oakland always has those strong side platoon guys that, you know, they're, they're better than you probably think they weren't heralded prospects. I liked Bohr in a couple of super deep leagues coming into the year because he really didn't have guaranteed playing time. I think he's just a hitter. I think, I, I think the dude can just hit uh, maybe at the low end. You're looking at, you know, like somebody who's a 275 hitter, um, and, and again, I think that's at the low end. I, I think Justin Bohr can be kind of a batting average asset with a little bit of punch, even in in, in more playing time, which uh, will bring down the 365. But what do you think of Justin Bohr? Anything here? Or are, you, are you more of the uh, no thanks for the 27-year-old? Well, you can see why the, the Cubs let him go, um, which is just that the, the power was inconsistent. Um, and, and, you know, he was shaping up to be uh, maybe a platoon bat, and they had Rizzo and you know, his position, his defensive position is uh, DH maybe. But, um, you know, in terms of – and he's he's built interestingly. He's uh, <laughs> he's also not a guy that, that scouts are going to be like, ah, you know, I want that guy on my team because he looks like a baseball player. He looks uh, almost like a linebacker Football in a bad player. way. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, – any case, uh, you you think that you, if you can believe the, the the 170 ISO he's got right now, which you know just sort of squinting my eyes, it seems okay. You know the projections all say he's going to step back off of that, and then you've got a guy who's going to hit 260 with less than league average power at first base, and then that's why you know there's not as much more excitement about him, and the, he was old for a lot of his levels. And, that, that's why uh, the minor league numbers. I, I didn't want to go citing them because they're great. But like you said, he's either you know old or like right at the age, maybe uh, in some instances for his level. So that that takes a lot of the sheen off of that. He was a college product, 25th round, out of George Mason. So yeah, I, I hear you there. He needs some pop. I wish that he randomly had some outfield eligibility because it'd just be much easier <laughs> to slot him as an outfielder than it is first base or corner. But deep deep leagues, you know, um, he's going to be a guy that's going to play. With a little bit of upside, probably more than you know some other players. He hits right now. He's hitting the ball hard by hard percentage, and um, you know, but he's not like a complete pull hitter that's going to be totally shifted. Uh, and he's not a you know a 50% fly ball guy that's going to have a 200 uh, BABIP or whatever. He's, you know, so there's no real main warning signs other than the fact that you know his age and you know non-prospect status, but. Uh, you know, yeah. definitely and, worth a flyer in, in the deeper leagues. And, and and what that can yield in terms of what you're talking about with the, with the age piece is like, okay, great. This older guy is, is, is fine in limited spells, but let's see what he can do in an extended role. So I'm very interested to see if there is some legitimacy here. Like I said, I've got him in some deep leagues. That's what we're really talking about here, deep leagues, until he shows if that power is real. Then you can maybe start moving him up to a corner slash utility maybe in some of the shower leagues. One place I'm really liking uh, – uh, using Boar is as a money-saving option in DFS. Um, you know, it's hard to do at first base. Again, that's why I just I really wish he had some fir- uh, some outfield eligibility because there's so much uh, greatness at first base. But if you find yourself stuck for money um, and, and you're not going, you know, you're going for some hot outfielders or some big-time pitching, and you're not worried about 
going a little bit lesser at first base. I've used him successfully a couple times at first base in DFS. So Justin Bohr, probably the most time we'll ever spend on him um, on the podcast this year. But I, but I like him. I like him for sure. Um, Shane Victorino finally hit the disabled list too. I, I guess that's kind of mean to say because it was a bit expected though. I mean, the, the, he just he can't stay healthy. And he's 34 years old. I think that uh, seeing him for you know 135 games would have been a pipe dream this year. So he hits the disabled list. Everyone's kind of waiting for the the outfield playing time thing to play out a little bit because uh, he was actually hitting pretty well. Betts wasn't going anywhere, even though he's only you know got a 682 OPS, and of course Hanley, when healthy, has been absolutely amazing. But uh, now this opens up the room for exactly what everyone was wanting was Ruzne Castillo, and he's been called up, so he's here. And I guess I'm just first off, go ahead and speak on Victorino. Do you even care? Are you going to DL him? Would you go you know try to get him low and stash him on your DL? Anything like that? And then how do you feel about Ruzne Castillo? It just seems so inevitable. This is going to happen. He's in his final year, so if Boston starts thinking towards the future, they're not really um, inclined to give him a lot of playing time. Um, he didn't really show a lot when he was in there, other than maybe walk rate. Um, and, uh, you know, the defense uh, is falling off. And so I just think Victorino, like, there's not a lot of reasons to, to believe in him unless he gets traded. Um, you know, to be, a, he could still be a fourth outfielder where he gets traded. So, sure. um, you know, there's not, uh, there's not a lot of reasons. I mean, one, one reason is, you know, he's still making contact. He's still walking. So on base percentage, he's took, you know, he stole three bases. So, you know, on base percentage league where, you know, five to 10 stolen bases and a couple homers could be useful. He could still be useful, but that's really pretty deep. And, Rosny Castillo is the prize here. I mean, he's obviously the guy with the tools. And one thing I really like is that um, he, he makes contact. You know, he, you know, even counting, um, you know, this year so far, he's seen 46 pitches. He's only whiffed at three of them. Nice. Um, so I think that's a pretty good ratio. Even if he uh, hasn't taken a walk yet um, and we don't have enough sample to really say much else, at and least just- – uh, just seen 46 pitches. Just a 15 percent at uh, at Pawtucket, 15 percent strikeout rate for Rusni Castillo too. So that kind of goes to your point even further that obviously an easier level, and he is a bit of an older guy, even though he's new on our landscape. He is 27 for those that don't know. But to your point, he goes out there and he swings and he makes contact. So I like that about Rusni Castillo. I'm very excited about him. Um, I know a lot of folks were this year. I'm definitely part of that party. I'm really hoping that he can be an impact player kind of maybe not with that one standout you know i'm not sure that there's necessarily going to be elite speed or elite power but something of everything and if that offense finally gets clicking it just seems like they're too good to be as poor as they've been um against both righties and lefties if they get going then there's a real big chance uh for castillo to be a huge boon over the final four months yeah and i think the real question mark with him is just power you know, he's shown basically so far league average power if you add everything up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of those, you know, a lot of those have been in the minor leagues where, like you say, he's 27 and we don't know how, you know, how much of a grain of salt to take that, uh, those numbers with. So that's why you see the projections range very far from, you know, I would say very far because you've got 116 uh, ISO for zips and that's um, sort of middle infielder-esque, you know, yeah, maybe poor. good middle infielder-esque, but, you know, not... It's not uh, the average outfielder has a better ISO than that, and then um, 
you know, steamer, you know, pushes them all up to 141, which is uh, basically league average. So, um, you know, that's the difference between a 422 slugging and 384 slugging. Everything else is is pretty much in line. Uh, most of the projections have him, you know, not being a walk rate asset, but making enough contact to be an OBP, um, be useful in OBP leagues. A little bit of power, a little bit of speed. It's just a question of how much power. I do like the fact that he's hit some fly balls uh, since he came up, and um, they didn't go anywhere necessarily, but um, you know, sooner or later they will. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, very excited about hit about Rizne Castillo. Um, go check, make sure he's not available in your league. He's probably owned in, in every league at this point, but uh, assuming it is a is a way to miss out on somebody. So definitely check, and also. Um, I wouldn't necessarily want to trade for him right now. I think that the excitement is still pretty high around him. Those that drafted him and hung on to him for two months, they're not necessarily going to be looking to trade him, uh, you know, at, at any sort of discount or anything like that. So if you are interested in Castillo and you didn't get a chance to get him, I, I would wait. I, I would wait, maybe see if he gets off to kind of a weak start and then try to try to swoop in. But right now, I think for me personally, I, I mean, no, I've got him on a couple teams. If anyone came knocking, I would still be charging a pretty high rate. Uh, so in that instance, I, I would go ahead and sit on uh, on trying to acquire him for right now. Uh, out in Tampa Bay, James Loney got disabled, uh, got moved to the disabled list with a middle finger injury. I believe he broke that sucker. Um, and again, don't necessarily need to talk too much about James Loney. I think he is kind of what he is. But I wanted to use this as a jump-off point to talk about somebody who's likely to play a lot of first base in his absence, and that's Logan Forsythe who I'm sure most of you think of, if you think of him at all, if you're in a league deep enough to think of him, think of him as a second baseman. That's where he's played 241 of his 344 games. He's bounced around third base, shortstop outfield, first base, DH, 14 games at first base, 13 of those coming this year for Logan Forsythe. And he's off to an excellent start this year. His five homers put him one away from matching his career high, which he's done in a lot more playing time than the 45 games that we've seen so far this year. So Logan Forsythe is hitting for average. He's got five homers. He's got three stolen bases. He's kind of being a do-everything sort of guy right now that you can put at second base, and now playing time further opened up for him. What do you think of Logan Forsythe? Uh, any interest here in, in this guy? This was somebody I liked a couple years ago. didn't pan out last year even. When he joined Tampa Bay, I thought he'd be a great utility type, and he was terrible. Uh, so, of course, I was a year early. He's great this year. What do you think, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things to like. I mean, one for one, I'm, I'm, I'm always talking about the contact rate, his best uh, swing strike rate of his career, and not in some crazy way where you're kind of like, hmm, more like, you know, his career number is 6.5, and his number this year is 5.4, but still the best of his career. Nice, yeah. Uh, best walk rate of his career, uh, best strikeout rate of his career. Um, and and for his power, uh, you know, he's he's shown the best power of his career. That's hard to read because he's had some years where he had zero, zero, zero power. Um, and this year he's, he's actually, you know, hit the five home runs, and you're kind of like, well, what's going on there? Well... The interesting thing there is that he's hitting, for the first time in his career, he's hitting more fly balls than ground balls. And uh, I, I think that's a legitimate uh, decision. Uh, there's sort of a decision there that hitters have. Um, you know, he's not going for the hit the ball into the ground and run to first uh, approach that um, maybe uh, different organizations in the past have asked from him. You know, he used to steal more bases. Maybe he used to be faster. Sure. Uh, and now he's kind of hitting the ball in the air and, and, and taking advantage of you know, we don't necessarily know what his true talent power is. So 
Um, you know, I, I think uh, there's some stuff to like here. And the best hard hit percentage of his career, um, well, not the best of his career, but, uh, you know, better than last year. And, uh, you know, everywhere, everything else is like pretty much uh, right on, on normal uh, values for his career. So I, I think that the, the, the change in batted ball mix is interesting for him. And I think he could maybe hit another, you know, eight, eight to 10 homers maybe. And, and, you know, that means you're going to finish the year with a, you know, like 260, 270 average and, um, you know, 10 to 15 homers and, and, you know, five to eight stolen bases. I mean, that, this guy's actually going to uh, register in our end of season rankings, probably in the top 15. Yeah. I'm, I'm, like I said, I've been impressed with what we're seeing from Forsyth. I don't think there's anything in the profile that says it's completely unsustainable or anything. It, you know, the homers aren't coming with some 28% homer to fly ball ratio. It's at 9.3, which is still below average. Um, it's actually above his career mark of 7%, but again, not wildly. So like you were saying earlier, he's setting a lot of bests, but not at such an, uh, an egregious level where you're like, well, that has to come down. He's never shown anything close to that. The only one that really stands out is the ISO. It's at 188, and his career is 118. So maybe there is some power regression, but like you said, there's changes to back it up. So I'm buying in on Forsyth right now. This is a guy that you should definitely go out and make sure that uh, see if he's owned in your league because I guarantee he's going to be available in more than you think because uh. just, just not a huge name. Just not a name that people are going to you know, necessarily be freaking out over. Um, and I like the flexibility that, that he has. You know, I, I don't get too, too crazy over people that have uh, you know, a, extra first base eligibility when they don't really have the bat to carry that position anyway. But he already has the second base. He's really close to third base depending on how your league goes. He's got seven games there. And in a pinch, he could jump back out into the outfield where he's had eligibility before. So I like Logan yeah. Forsythe. Here's one reason uh, not to uh, worry about him too much in mixed leagues, though. Um, a lot of his improvement has come against righties. Yes, and, that, I noticed that. Yeah, and, and it, that's, a, that's an interesting thing because, you know, the you know, 600 or so plate appearances he had before uh, this year against righties did not mean everything. It, you know, you couldn't just say he's terrible against righties, even though – his team was platooning him and blah, blah, blah. And even though the numbers weren't great. So, you know, an improvement in those numbers, you know, doesn't, you know, it's really interesting. He is going to regress, but it doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to regress back to his career level against righties. Exactly. And, and so, the, the question is always regress to what? And, and it's, it's good that you pointed that out because, yeah, we both think he's going to slide back some because he's, he's, you know, playing out of his mind right now. But Logan Forsythe, I don't think, is going to regress to unplayable. Maybe in 10-team mixers or something like that, sure. But pretty much 12 mixed and up – Second base guy or as a middle infield guy, I, I, I like I like Logan Forsythe. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And then and let's say the best the best use of him probably is DFS play. Yes, uh, against the lefty, uh, particularly if it's away from home. Something I've uh, I've used him perfectly for so far this year. I mean, not, not every time he's had success against him, but that's that's where I've been using him. That's that's a good deployment uh, of a guy like that. So yeah, these these two guys here, Justin Bohr and Logan Forsythe, the last two guys we talked about, also have that that DFS value because their prices haven't really gone sky high to match their current production. Uh, Devon Travis hit the disabled list over the weekend with a shoulder injury. It's supposed to be kind of a minimum stay. He's expected back right around June 1st. And really what I, what I, I, I bring him up to ask you is, is kind of what you're thinking of him now about two months in. Obviously, he was 
amazing to start the season. His April was unbelievable. A 10-18 OPS with six homers for Devon Travis. This month so far in, in 14 games of, of May, and obviously that's all he's going to play, uh, just one homer, seven ribbies, 556 OPS. So complete opposite of what he was. Obviously, he wasn't as good as April. I'm not sure he's as bad as May. He's probably somewhere in between that. You know, that, that that's that's a pretty easy thing to say. But where in between that would be the question. So what do you think of Devon Travis at second base for the Jays? I still like him a lot. And uh, one of the things I found while trolling around on his uh, splits page is that he's terrible on, bulls, on balls that he pulls. I mean, just 3% line drive rate, um, you know, bad hard hit percentage. Uh just uh, just a general, just a, has been terrible on, pull, on balls he's pulled. And <clears throat> at first I said, well, that's got to be a bad thing. But then uh, he's great up the middle. He's got opposite field power. And in May, the one thing that changed a, a big deal about his sort of spray chart was that he uh, pulled the ball about half as much as he did in March and April. Okay. So I think that's uh, a decent reaction. You know, if he's not doing that well pulling the ball, then try to go up the middle more. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of his pull balls went to the center field where he's great. I mean, he's got great power. So, you know, I'm going to leave the split spades behind because, we're, you know, you can slice and dice those numbers too hard and then they become tiny. But Yeah, we're, we're, we're slicing 36 games up for Travis. I, I hear you on that. Yeah, and just in general, I think you got to zoom out and say – you know, if I would just if I was looking at his page for the first time today, what would I see? I would see a lot of the same things that I saw out of Brett Laurie, which is that he can, you know, make above average contact uh, with above average power, with above average spe- speed. And that's the kind of guy who's normally going to have a good batting average. And there's no, you know, there's no infield fly or weird fly ball mix uh, situation with him. So really, I think the projections are missing the boat on his batting average going forward. And uh, I'll give him what he's got or better in batting average. So 271 as, or better. Yeah, even as the power maybe regresses a little bit, maybe he only ends up um, with, you know, 15 or so for the year. Okay. Still, you're going to end up with a guy who's going to hit 270 or better with 15-plus homers and, uh, you know, five or so stolen bases. That's definitely a guy who's going to end up in the top 12 at second base at the end of the season, as long as this injury doesn't keep him out too long. Yeah, po- positive outlook for for Travis on the injury. Like I said, they're talking June first. That's that's pretty close to a minimum stay. Uh, we just released our our first base update. The second base update is going to come later this week, um, either tomorrow, which be which would be Wednesday or Thursday. So look for that. See where Travis is with the rest of the season projection based on what uh, Mike Podhorzer, Zach Sanders, and myself believe. We'll be posting those rankings and the rest of the positions coming up. Uh, sticking in the NL, or excuse me, in the AL East, coincidentally by the way, but we got four straight here from that same division. Uh, Steven Souza has a wrist injury, and it's going to cost him his second straight game here. Don't know if it's going to be a long-term thing right now. They're not saying DL or whatever. It's day-to-day. But, uh, again, using it as an entry point to really discuss the player at large, not so much the injury, although this injury, a wrist, can always be something that could could linger and, and, and obviously alter the outlook. But we've seen some interesting things from Souza so far. We got the seven homers and the seven stolen bases that had they got to have you giddy um, if you invested in him. But a 223 average uh, is really hideous because of a 38% strikeout rate. And the worst part of it is, is you can't necessarily look and say, oh, well, 
uh, I can get some some BABIP regression. He's got a 342 BABIP already, so I'm not sure that it's necessarily going to go up and really improve that average. He's just not making enough contact right now, and that's a big issue for Souza. But everything else is so great that it's almost like a, a George Springer situation um, that that, we're, that we talk about, where we know that there's a batting average liability. But the the homers and RBI, or excuse me, the homers and stolen bases are just too much to pass up on Souza. What do you think of uh, one of the more chic sleeper picks of the year coming into the season in Steven Souza so far? Yeah, I mostly my shares are mostly in on base percentage leagues just because I was a little worried about this situation. That's working out though. He's got a a one hundred and one point split. So you know, three twenty four isn't great, but it's definitely much better than what a two twenty three average does in in a batting average league. Yeah, and you, if you can, I mean that 324 keeps you on the field, and then you got that seven, you got the power and the speed. So bingo. Uh, you know, from what I see in the projections, they're they're mostly, you know, more of the same. Maybe a little bit of regression. Um, you know, a lot of them see him, you know, striking out less uh, and you know having a, a lower uh, lower BABIP. So that sort of that interaction uh, leads to a lot of the same in terms of on base percentage and, and batting average. I don't know if I have anything to add. I do know that um, to some extent, Dan Farnsworth predicted this um, would be the case in that that he thought that Souza might uh, or Souza might um, might have some troubles at the beginning. Um, and uh, you know, if that's if if Farnsworth was right and this, these are the the troubles that he was going to have adjusting to the league, then it, it is certainly possible that there's better to come. Um, you know. He's 26, though, and the sure. numbers say um, that he's basically at his peak um, uh, or close to it and that there isn't a ton, um, you know, he's going to do better. So it, it is funny, though, when you look at a guy like this, you, you, you see a guy like Soza, and he's got the 12.6% swing and strike rate and a 38% strikeout rate. So and then we were just talking about Avisel Garcia, who has an 18% swing and strike rate and a 23% strikeout rate. And it, you think about some guys uh, finding their right, correct level of patience because you know that yeah. Souza is taking some strikes, um, you know, that he thinks are balls or for whatever reason he's taking those strikes. And that's putting him in these, these strikeout counts uh, where his natural ability to miss means that he's, he's striking out some. So I, do, I know that when I look at Derek Norris's uh, record, for example, example I, I see a guy who's gotten better by swinging more. And by being more aggressive. And if you look at Derek Norris, he had a, a high level of called strikes uh, taken and a high level of called strikeouts early in his career. And since then, he's too kind passive. of passive. Yeah, he was too passive. And I know that that sounds weird to uh, a crew that's, you know, born and bred on, on base percentage. I know. And I know. Stuff. But, but just think about, you know, you're at a 1 1 count and a 50 50 ball comes uh, down the, you know, outside corner you have the ability to do something with that but you think it's a ball um, and you're generally trying to work a walk all of a sudden it's a one and two count you know yeah and uh and then you're you're trying to swing your way out of that but uh if you have a you know 12 percent swing strike rate you you're, you know one in ten chance that you're gonna start missing some balls soon and then there comes a strikeout so i think sometimes you can you know selectively be more aggressive and 
maybe we'll we'll see that with uh, with with uh, Stephen here. Just comparing the pair that because you mentioned Avisel Garcia, you know where they really where, where things really diverge for the pair is that Souza is pretty much dead even when the count's even. Uh, he only has any sort of advantage when when the batter's ahead with an 11.55 OPS. It goes down to 6.12 on even counts, uh, plate appearances that end on even counts. Whereas Avisel Garcia is at a 10.34 on even counts with just 10 strikeouts. By the way, Souza has 30 strikeouts in those situations. Um, and so, you know, that, that's where it's really turning for, for, for the pair is that uh, based on what you're saying, too, where Souza gets too deep into counts sometimes, maybe 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 gets rid of the perf- uh, looking for the perfect strike, spits on some OK or, or even good strikes that he could have swung at. Um, and he'll need to learn that. So, yeah, he is 26, Souza. But he is still learning. We're talking about 64 major league games. So the age piece, don't let it get get you as concerned as it might for a quote-unquote normal 26-year-old who might already have you know two years of experience under his belt. I'm still staying the course with Souza. Um, but yeah, obviously a wrist injury. Hopefully it's not something major because you can't get rid of that power. If you are going to tank my average, Souza, got to get the power and speed. So some good, some bad with his with his early season, but but mostly good if if you invested because the price wasn't what uh, wasn't obscene by any stretch. Let's shift over and talk a, little, a couple pitchers here with some injuries. Johnny Cueto doesn't have any structural damage in his elbow. He could start later this week. It's kind of a TBD situation if he, if he if he's going to make it into that Washington series. Obviously, he's been elite. The only thing that could really slow him down at this point is injury. I think Cueto is still kind of tabbed as an as an injury-prone sort of guy, um, and I think that might be a little bit unfair at this point, uh, especially if you're looking at kind of recent history uh, where he's got 33-11. That was the real dead year, 11 starts. Uh, 33 starts, 11 starts, and 34. Those are his last three years. So he has the one really bad one, but even if you look at the expanse of his career, he only has that one – really down season where he didn't play the, the the 11 start 2013 his only other one where he didn't make 30 starts for Cueto was was 2011 where he made 24 starts and so yeah that hurts you a little bit that you didn't get those extra six or seven but uh he put up a 231 ERA in those 156 innings so it's hard to complain so I think he gets a little bit misrepresented as some sort of injury prone can't stay healthy type of guy Right now, I'm going to go with what uh, what the Reds are saying and, and not freak out too much about this injury. But the Reds are also a little bit squirrely when it comes to injuries. We just talked about the Devin Mezzarocco piece, and we know the whole blow up with Brian Price about how he probably wants to protect all the information these days. So I am a little bit nervous, but overall, I don't think it's uh, impacting how I view Cueto. For example, I wouldn't go try to sell low um, and and get rid of him when the bad news is out. I would still stick with Cueto because he's been amazing uh, when he has pitched. What do you think of Johnny Cueto and this potential elbow scare right now? Yeah, I mean, I I am worried about it. I don't like selling low, but I am worried about it. And what's happened is that his vertical release point has changed. And he's actually... Um, more over the top right now than he's ever been. Interesting. And, you know, it's hard to know that, like, um, you know, how much to worry about this, I guess you could say. Um, But uh, what's happened as a result of it um, is that his uh, his actual, his his changeup has changed. His changeup now has different movement. And it's slight, if you look at it, there's not... 
a lot of difference, but it, it, it lines up with what happens when you go more over the top. So if you're more over the top, the changeup is going to have more of a Colmenter type uh, movement to it, where it's going to, uh, and this happens in general, the more over top you are, the more your movement is up down rather than side to side. And I think that's why people really like the three quarters release because you can get both, you know, up down movement and sideways movement. Exactly. So, chain, uh, in 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 Cueto's case, he's more over the top than he's ever been before, and now um, his changeup has uh, the least fade and the most drop that it's ever had. <clears throat> so he's got this changeup that's changed shape a little bit this year. So now I doubt that he did that on purpose because the whiff rate on his changeup went from plus plus elite. Um, you know, to the last month, it was below average. So I doubt that he's doing this on purpose. I would say that it's probably uh, he's he's reacting to something that hurts. Okay. Uh, so, you know, as for the, the, the sort of Josh Kalk injury factor stuff, uh, there was some stuff in there, but uh, it's not as obvious as when you look at the movement of his changeup and his vertical release point, there's something changing there. Something's barking. He's, he's talking about something barking. There's something, there's something in there. But I mean, what are you gonna do? I mean, you can't. You don't want to really sell him That's unless you're gonna be in a dynasty league and you're rebuilding and you can kind of go and get the package that you would normally go get, pretty much, more or less. If uh, you can, then then I doubt fine. You're going, I doubt you're going to. I doubt you're gonna get exactly. The same so you gotta wait. You gotta wait. If he comes back and starts to starts and looks good. I think I might still sell him just because I, I think that the it's a legitimate thing that the the injury risk because not only has he had recurring oblique issues over different many years and you know lots of lost years he's also had shoulder notes I, I see shoulder injury notes on his on his resume and I don't like that at all so well um, yeah the, the the reason I I can't sell right now though is because you know right before this news came out he was valued as probably a top five guy I mean things things were going swimmingly. He was toting a sub three ERA uh, all year. I mean, he had a sub two through through April, so everything was going brilliantly for Cueto. Then all of a sudden, this pops up, and maybe it colors some of those earlier uh, starts. You know, in May when he gave up a couple homers to both Atlanta and and the White Sox, resulting in nine earned runs, uh, which were more than he had given up all year. He had given up eight to that point. So, you know, maybe that colors some of it. But I think you got to stick, stick tight with Cueto. I'm not too worried yet. You're a little bit more worried. We'll see what's up. Maybe we'll talk about it on Thursday because he's supposed to play catch tomorrow on Wednesday. So if there's an update there, if there's anything to really discuss, we'll bring him back up. But until then, you know, a little bit more worried. Paul, not so worried. Do with that what you will. Neither of us really trying to deal him unless you get what you would consider full value, and that's probably only in a dynasty league. Uh, Danny Duffy hit the disabled list with a shoulder injury. He'd been pretty much brutal this year. So, uh, you know, the fact that there's an injury there, you're not, you're never happy for that. That, that would be a stupid and terrible thing to say, but you're, you're at least maybe heartened a little bit by the fact that, okay, maybe this wasn't just totally rancid performance, um, on his part. And maybe the injury was, was part of it kind of throughout here. So, um, Danny Duffy had had a 5.87 ERA. The skills had cratered. All of his walk rate gains from 2014 were gone. Um, giving up too many hits. Everything was just bad for him. So maybe the time off will suit him well. Let's see here. They called up uh, Brandon Finnegan. I don't know if Finnegan's going to be a starter then or, or whatever they're going to do because here's the thing with, with KC. 
they can, if they can get somebody, even if it's even if it is Finnegan, they can ask him to just go four innings. They they don't even need uh, <laughs> whoever it is in their fifth starter. They don't even need to ask him for five. They can say, listen, whoever you are, if you can just give us four innings, and if it's Finnegan, and the only reason that would be like a four inning thing for Finnegan is because he's still young and trying to stretch out. He's done mostly only bullpen work in the majors, and he only has three starts on his arm this year in the minors. So it would just be a lot to ask. But if they say, listen. We're going to make this a bullpen game. You try to give us three or four, and then we'll go from there. They could probably get away with that for a little while. That's how deep KC's bullpen is. It's It's been unfair that Greg Holland has kind of crapped the bed, and they haven't felt it even 1%. I mean, he's got more walks than strikeouts, and they just haven't felt it. Anyway, what do you think about Duffy, and uh, do you have any interest in Finnegan um, in any sort of format uh, not knowing his role? I, I understand it's kind of nebulous with, with Finnegan, but – Duffy first, and then Finnegan. What do you think? Uh, you know, I've never been a fan of Duffy. I've talked about it very many times on the show, um, so I don't uh, don't need to make uh, people think that I have something against him as a person. Um, <laughs> I just uh, never really uh, found his his mix compelling. Um, and you know, for what it's worth, that we also know that uh, people with uh, iffy command have worse health outcomes. So. Um, I'm not saying that I know everything about mechanics, but, you know, whatever mechanics are leading to these walk rates um, may have led to the shoulder injury for Duffy. Uh, I was never really in on him, so I can't be out. But when it comes to uh, Finnegan, I like him. Uh, and there was uh, there was enough there to think that he could be a starter last year. But I just read a piece. Uh, I forget who. I think it might have been by Andy McCullough who is the uh, beat writer up there. And I just read a piece by him saying that um, they don't think he's necessarily going to start this year. That, oh, that, okay. So not at all. Yeah, because he wasn't really starting the minors. Yeah. And they were, they were doing things. But they said it wasn't necessarily – it was very complicated. They weren't necessarily saying that he wasn't going to start in the future. They were just uh, following what, quote-unquote, the normal plan is for stretching a pitcher out. And yet that normal plan doesn't have him starting the games. It has him pitching two to three innings in the middle of the game. Interesting. So it's uh, I think they're kind of sitting on the fence, and maybe this will be what pushes them to the other side. But at the same time, they have a pitcher's park, and they have Chris Young as their as their fifth starter, and you never know how long that might that can last. I mean, their their main four of Volquez, Ventura, Guthrie, and Vargas. Yeah, they're not exciting, but they're they're going to go out there and pitch for you every yep. every five days. If they keep you in it so, for five. You've got a shot with that bullpen. Yeah, and if, and if Chris Young stays around uh, and 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 does okay, maybe what you'll find is that they're slowly stretching. They slowly stretch Finnegan out. But how do you do that in the major leagues? You're not going to call up Finnegan and then slowly stretch him out of the major leagues. That's something you do in the minor leagues. So you, you would uh, think, but his last three outings have been two, two and two thirds, and then three innings. I mean, they got lucky. Uh, as lucky as you can get when you're getting your clock cleaned, but there was a 14 to one game yesterday. So they had a chance to give him three innings. They were three no hit innings for Finnegan. So, but, but and that's he, pretty close. I mean, three innings is way more than, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put Kelvin and Herrera out there for three innings unless no. it was the season. So, um, you know, I think that's something to watch Finnegan versus young. I mean, cause young is so marginal in terms of talent. Um, or Guthrie. That. I mean, Guthrie was the one that made it 14. I know that he is kind of their um, their leader there, 
and 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 that would probably guarantee him at least a spot on, on the roster. I, I feel but like he's they earned that six ERA. Wow, six FIP. Jeez. Yeah, no, it, it it was bad, and obviously a lot of it was that Memorial Day start where he gave up eleven earned. But uh, and he he'd been coming off of a decent streak for Guthrie too. That was the weird thing. But I never really believe in him, so I wasn't too surprised when we saw it. So by the way, I forgot Vargas is coming back, so that's the automatic fill in right now. That so they're not running you know, without a guy there in, in Duffy's spot, Vargas is the automatic fill in there. And then like you mentioned, Volquez, Ventura, Guthrie, and young. So they've got five right now, but the way you were outlining young Guthrie, they're not exactly the sturdiest, even Vargas so far this year has been brutal. So they have some flexibility there. If they did want to work something with Finnegan, we'll, we'll, we'll see what they do. But right now I wouldn't rush out to get Finnegan. And the last bit of injury news is Willie Peralta. He was disabled with an oblique injury. They're looking at a four- to six-week timetable. Uh, he'd been kind of up and down this year. Obviously, they're having a brutal season in Milwaukee. But uh, Peralta had kind of shown, you know, he'll have a couple flashes of looking great, and then he'll get he'll get uh, run up by the Mets for five earned in five innings. And you're like, come on, man, that's the Mets. Like, you got to have success against the bad teams. Um if, if, if you're going to be good, especially it almost wasted his uh, two earned run outing and eight innings against the Dodgers when you give them all back against the Mets. So, you know, he, he'd gone four one hit innings in Atlanta from this start before being pulled. So he's in the midst of a good start. It's just looking like in terms of right now, even when he comes back in a month or a month and a half for, for Willie Peralta, he's still a work in progress. Every time we, it looks like we, we see a couple steps forward, he, he'll, he'll take one back. So I just think it's going to be kind of like that until he really puts it together. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just always kind of a league average type. But what do you think of Willie Peralta now that he's going to be looking? I, I would give him the six weeks. I'll always go with the higher end. When they give a timetable, they said four to six. I'll say six weeks. So without a month and a half of Willie Peralta, what do you think of him rest of the season? You know, I know that his, his walk rate the last couple of years has, has gone up. I mean, it's gotten better. But I think that I've seen enough Peralta that I would say that, you know, some guys can get away without a changeup. And I am and I know that Peralta has two sliders, so he, he could be one of these guys with two breaking balls um, and velocity, the kind of Garrett Richards, quote-unquote, plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he could do that, except that I don't believe that the last two walk rates are indicative of his actual command. Like, sure. I think he doesn't have good command. So if you've got a guy with, even if he's got two breaking balls, he doesn't necessarily have good command. Those balls are going to be hit for homers. He's had homer problems his whole career. Um, you know, those balls are going to be hit hard. Uh, he's been he's been hard hit uh, most of his career. So I, I think that uh, these things, and then the home park's not going to help him any. Um, no, never. So I think last year is the best that we'll see. We may see it one more time, but I don't think we'll ever see better than last year again. That's unfortunate. I, I, I like a lot of what Peralta can do. I mean, you know, the, the elite ground. All bets are off if he gets traded to Oakland or sure. Some place that can help him, you know, keep the homers down. I understand that. Yeah. Somewhere where, where would, would more maximize his skill set. but you know, I love the mid nineties velocity. That slider yeah. can be wicked, but he's really only a two pitch guy. Um, and so the, the volatility, I, I understand it. I, I'm still holding out hope. I still think that we can see more than 2014 at his peak. Um, but obviously needs to get healthy now. And this throws a big wrench into everything right now with Peralta. So um, 
we'll, we'll we'll see how he goes. We'll see if he's a little bit better than uh, a little bit better than you think, which will be more in, in line with what I believe. But he's only shown the glimpses. Right now, it's just kind of a leap of faith with him. So I I understand your position. I just feel he's a little bit better than what we've seen thus far. All right, let's talk about a, a handful of, of recent performances. These are all kind of like mid-level guys and then one star. Uh, just kind of want to get your take on on what we're seeing from them and, and how rosterable they are in in uh, in the various formats. First guy is somebody that, you know, I wasn't too keen on on using him right off the disabled list because, it, you know, it's the hip injury. He hadn't pitched all year. Uh, but Charlie Morton was really sharp in his in his 2015 debut, seven innings, two two earned runs against Miami. Now it is Miami, so that that helps anybody. But you know, 87 pitches to get through seven innings is pretty good. No strikeouts really, uh, three, um, so not special. But he's never been a huge strikeout guy. Charlie Morton is a ground ball type of guy. He's perfectly tailored for the Pirates system you know what the, what they've got in place works out perfectly for Morton so I do think he's somebody worth picking up in, in a lot of formats um, probably not all like a 10 team mix I just don't think that even with quality ratios he's all that worth it but pretty much anything else I think he could at least be a stream option I'm pretty intrigued and encouraged by the by the debut outing from from Charlie Morton so uh, he's got two start this week what do you think of Morton as a uh, as a long-term investment well, velocity's been a big deal for him, and you know part of his breakout came when he uh, jumped up to uh, you know the the uh, sort of I guess above average. Yeah, velocity. The, low, the low 90s when he could touch mid 90s. Interestingly, I'm gonna jump jump in quick cut you off real fast. Interestingly, uh, his his four seamer can can reach mid 90s consistently, and and the Braves wanted him only throwing that. And in fact, when he first got to the Pirates, or excuse me, the, the Braves were allowing him to throw his two seamer. But when he first got to the Pirates, they said four seamers only because they love the velocity. Well, it was straight as an arrow, and it and it took until kind of this new regime um, that we're seeing here that obviously has bred a lot of the Pittsburgh success where they let him get the two seamer back. Obviously it fits their plan perfectly, but uh, yeah, I'm listening to the the book called the big data by Travis Sawchick and they did a whole profile on, uh, on Morton and how he had to, you know, basically get his clock cleaned a bunch before they finally realized, stop using the four seamer, go to the two seamer. He's actually got more velo than we've seen. The problem is when it reaches mid nineties, it straightens out too much. So he's got to work in that, 90 to 93 range with the two seamer and he can get tons of movement on it yeah and he, he famously tried to model his Halliday, uh, yeah model his his work on roy halliday and all that but um you know he just doesn't have the swinging strike stuff of, of a roy halliday and so um and, and he's he's mostly sinker slider so there are the the odd lefty laden lineups that can um can do some damage against him especially if he's away from home but uh, you know the, the home park there is a nice one. I think he's more he's like a good DFS play. Uh, maybe you call it sinker curve if you don't want to call it a slider. But um, uh, he's had platoon issues in the past, and uh, you know doesn't really have a changeup. So um, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that uh, I like him best as a streamer um, at home against teams that don't have great lefty power. 
Um, and the, you can you can find those fairly easily. So uh, in in division, you know, we'll just name one that you can maybe look at regularly. That'll probably pop pop up a few different times, which is, which is Milwaukee. Um, obviously, they they don't, they feature one real prominent lefty bat in Adam Lind, and then sometimes Gerardo Parra. But other than that, it's all righties. Now there's some good righties, but he he can handle those types. What I really like about Morton from that debut is 20 ground balls. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. So uh, yeah, definitely had the had the sinker working. I agree with you. Stream option, cheap DFS option as like an SP two on DraftKings. I, I like him as as that as well. So we're we're in agreement there. Next up is Phil Hughes, who uh, you know has been a pretty huge disappointment at least on my end. I, I actually thought. Um, a decent bit of what we saw last year was pretty legitimate. And then the one piece that thought that I thought would, you know, kind of regress a little bit was that walk rate. Well, that's almost held. It was at 2% last year. He's at 2.5% this year, but his strikeout rates really gone down. His home run rate has jumped back up to his Yankee levels. And that was the one thing that I really thought uh, could be different for him was that out of Yankee stadium, he wasn't going to allow as many homers and that alone was just going to make him better. Well, this year, three multi-homer games, only two home run free outings. Coincidentally, both of them were, were, were pretty good. Um, you know, two earned in seven and then I guess three earned in five, not great, but against Detroit, you'll, you'll take that. So it hasn't been good so far. And yet I, I'm still kind of holding the course with, uh, with, with Phil Hughes because, it is looking a little bit like last year where he got off to a really bad start. His first three or four starts were really brutal, and then he got it going. It's not quite as great so far this year. His last six starts, 4-12 ERA, that's not – you're not freaking out over that by any stretch of the imagination. But it's much better than the 5-30 ERA that Phil Hughes had in his first three starts. So I think he's starting to level off a little bit and, and, and be closer to the guy that we saw last year. But until he can turn up that strikeout rate – um, I've got him on the bench in some leagues, um, and I, I'm still playing him in a couple of deeper leagues. But I understand folks benching and even cutting him in uh, in, in ten team mixers right now because it's it, it's just, he's just been too hittable and not enough strikeouts to justify. But in deeper formats, I I, I still am keeping an eye on Phil Hughes. What what, what do you think here? Yeah, I, I just wrote about him today and, and said that, you know, he's a little bit of the uh, risk that you take when you look at uh, strikeouts minus walks and strikeout minus walks alone. I um, mean, strikeouts minus walks are the best in-season uh, predictors, um, uh, you know, ERA estimators, is you know. So it is really nice to use them, but I use them to group and find uh, sleepers, and then I have to look deeper because – you know, you get your Phil Hughes, you get your Matt, your Matt Shoemaker, you get your Mike Byers, and they look great by strikeouts minus walks, but then you you have to know, well, you know, homers are a big deal. And here are guys, you know, none of them average more than 91 on the fastball. Um, all of them have had homer issues in the past, even the minors and the majors. And so, you know, if you're going to give them a homer per nine, more, you know, more than a homer per nine, what are the numbers going to look like? So... Uh, I think that Hughes may not give up one and a half per nine like he has been, but I do think that he has had homer issues his whole career. You know, I think that maybe the swing strike rate is going to get a little bit better, but, you know, his his most recent starts, they haven't been good. They've all been below 8%. Um, and, and we know that he's been looking for a good breaking ball his whole career, that he's switched from the slider to the cutter to the curve to back to the slider, and um, that he doesn't really own a true plus out pitch. So, 
you know, I think that if you if you if you look too far into last year's strikeout minus walk rate, uh, you're looking at uh, basically a career year type situation. Yeah, and I think that's fair. You're missing the rest of um, the rest of the rest of the story. <laughs> Good one. Uh, Good reference. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, he can. He, he's he's got that elite level control still, um, and uh, you know, it's going to give you an okay whip. And I think at home uh, in Seattle, you know, against some weaker offenses, he's still a play. But uh, he's definitely not a guy I'm trading for in ten to twelvers. Um, Shoemaker, I might even put a little bit ahead just because Shoemaker has better out pitches. Yeah, that that part's fair. I mean, walk rate right now. I would love to disagree with you uh, on Shoemaker versus Hughes, but uh, it, it's tough to have a leg to stand there. Like I said, I'm not I'm not going to completely fade Hughes. I still saw a lot that I liked last year, so I'm going to stick with him in these deeper formats where I have him. The one thing I wonder is. Might he not be a good fit for for um, a two seamer and and kind of ditch some of the four seamer because he is such a fly ball guy. If he could get if he could use that elite command uh, or control, I should say, because it is that's the problem. He doesn't have elite command. Uh, he has elite control, and this is where you can see the difference between the two so clearly. Um, is that last year? He had he had the command at times, um, you know, through big stretches there. That's why he wasn't allowing walks or homers this year. Yeah, he's still filling up the zone nicely, but not putting it where he wants. So it's up there on a tee. And that's why he's getting blasted. But I wonder if a two seamer might be a better fit for Hughes. Really bring down that uh, that fly ball rate. And if he could still control it the way he controls his other pitchers, I think that might be the key to his success. So. I don't know. Um, Except he's using, I mean, right now he's using the sinker more than he's ever used it before. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. And I, then, I, and I, was looking on, uh, I was looking on our page. We had him at 70, 70% uh, fastballs. I, I, I didn't see that. I didn't see the two seam, four seam breakdown. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. If you, the uh, pitch FX has him at 23%. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. Uh, but, um, Brooks, Brooks has him, uh, 12%. Yeah. Just a little bit more unusual. I think what's tough for him is that, um, he, his fastball is his best pitch. Yeah. And, um, he gets really good extension and rise, um, out of his four seam, at least when he's going well. And, uh, he's had some years where he's had, you know, like league leading type rise and ride out of his four seam. Right now, uh, I think actually some of the whiffs have, have left his four seam, and uh, I don't know if it's you know throwing the sinker more that's you know making him not have the same extension on his four seam. Uh, but for whatever reason, ever since he started upping the sinker usage, his uh, four seam hasn't had the same uh, ride to it. So, well, um, I, I can't advocate buying him, but uh, if you if, yeah. if 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 I already tricked you into into buying him in the first place, then just hang on. Um, and, and let's see what's going on. Although if I'm the only one hanging on here, I, I get it. Maybe, maybe this is my next, uh, Ricky Romero where I was the last guy on that train too, before it exploded. Um, a train I didn't jump off of. What's that? Shane Green. We both still love Shane Green. It's we do. Okay. We also both, you know, we're still pretty happy about this guy. Uh, or, or at least not jumping off the train, although he's been maddening, to be honest. I, I don't know. Even with the good performances recently, I don't know how happy I am about Drew Hutchison because he's been so guardrail to guardrail. 
at the same time, I didn't cut him off any teams. So the fact that he's got four, you know, three really good and then a, a fourth kind of solid start in a row, giving him a 236 ERA, 28 strikeouts, a seven strikeout to walk ratio in his last four starts for Drew Hutchison. I do love, I do love all of that. Um, I, I am still nervous, but I still haven't taken him out of lineups where, where I had him. What, are you seeing anything different in these last four that makes you think that some of the uh, some of the disaster potential from from his previous six uh, during three of which he allowed six earned runs or more? Do you think some of that has gone away from Hutchison or is he still the volatile guy that we've seen through 10 starts this year and we should still be a little bit cautious? What do you think? You know, it could be as simple as velocity. I, I don't I don't know that I'm sure of this, but Craig did a good job uh, on the front page talking yeah. about Hutchison and pointed out that his velocity has been up recently. And, you know, it's funny when you look at averages, if you look at averages of his fastballs, then um, it looks like he's up, you know, uh, to 93-ish from 92-ish, you know? And so you're like, ah, why are you making such a big deal out of this? But, it's just an average, right? So that means that it's a whole mix of velocities. And we do know that once you get your velocity over 94, different things start happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that if he's averaging 93 to 94 and, you know, against, um, against Boston, he actually averaged 95. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you're averaging 94, that means that you've got how many, three, four, five, six fastballs that, that game, that are going to be 96. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. You know, those are going to be way more likely to be swings and misses than um, anything under 93. So, um, you know, that means he's got his good fastball. That means that, and those can, be, those can be whiff pitches. Those can be pitches with two strikes that if he goes to 95, um, he can get you out, whereas maybe before he was going to 93 and, you know, something else was happening. So... Um, you know, in this case, a little marginal increase could could uh, could affect him a lot. It's interesting that his slider is not exactly the same slider that was working so well for him last year. In that uh, second half, when it was electric, and that's part of why I liked him because he had a slider that had you know really good results, plus the the changeup which has good results. And now, um, you know, I'm not as uh, rock lock solid. He's not a lock solid lock. You know, uh, whatever. Cue the sound effects. Um, <laughs> But uh, I do. I, I did keep him in all my deep leagues. I did jettison him in um, in a twelve teamer just because I was worried at that velocity. But um, at this one, I'll give him a little a little run and see what's going on. Well, to your point on on Hutchison's velocity, he he didn't average higher than ninety two point nine in any of his five May, uh, April starts, and then in his five May starts, he hasn't gone below the ninety two point nine mark, uh, sitting at ninety three three, the ninety five that you mentioned in that Boston start 93, seven and 94, even, um, against, uh, the angels. So, you know, it, it has been a difference, um, in, in velocity. And then I'll link to Craig Edwards's piece today that kind of covers him and, and the quote unquote good fastball that you mentioned earlier. So, you know, it just might be a maddening thing. I think we talk about this a lot, uh, you know, as a group, whether we're writing or here on the podcast and we say, growth for young young players isn't linear you know just because they they took one step here doesn't mean they're going to take another step forward here and then and so on so he's kind of showing that in in the most maddening way possible and yet when you look into 
Hutchison's composite line, even with a 5.12 ERA, there's still a lot to like. Ground balls are way up. Uh, you know, the strikeout rate hasn't tumbled. It's still at 20% down from 23 last year, but you know, 20%, as long as you're hanging above there, I can take that. And then a career best walk rate at 6% this year. So there are things to like, we're sitting tight. Um, in most formats, you mentioned that you had jettisoned him in one league. I, I, I get it because it, it was so bad there. And in a 12 team league, there's probably just too many intriguing names for you to pass. Um, like I said, I held tight, reserved him in a couple, got him back in the lineup now, enjoying the benefits of Hutchison. But uh, make no mistake, he'll be discussed at least 42 more times on this podcast throughout the course of the season. Even if he doesn't make 42 more starts, because, you know, we're going to talk to him, we're going to talk about him even more. Anyway, <laughs> we got to talk about, uh, we got to finish here with a hitter. Uh, before we talk a little bit bullpen news and wrap this sucker up, we have to talk one hitter, and that's the superstar that I mentioned uh, out of this group of here of kind of mid-level guys uh, capped off with Prince Fielder. And we spoke about him. I, th- I think it was us. I can't remember. I was looking through some of the old uh, rundowns, and he was on one of them, but I don't know if it was an episode you and I did, me and Jason did, or that one I did by myself. So he's been recently mentioned, but – Prince Fielder deserves another mention because of the power surge that he's in the midst of. He had four homers over the long weekend, um, two in a game against New York, another one against New York, took a day off, but still went three for five, uh, took a day off from homers, I should say, and then another one on Memorial Day. So he's absolutely raking, and now everything's kind of coming together. For a while, it was just the average, where's the power? Now Prince Fielder's whole line is looking Prince Fielderian, uh, 992 OPS, everything's clicking for him. Are you buying at this level that he's back to being a star, a superstar, I should say, or do you think there's some regression from here um, for Prince Fielder that you, that you would want to get away from? The only regression that I see is more long-term, uh, is health-related, uh, getting dings and, and cuts and you know maybe the neck issue flares up again. Um, I'm not sure about this year. I mean, he's he's 32, I think. Uh, 31. It's quite, 31. It's not quite when I would start um, saying the hammies are going to go and this and that. But uh, I do think that long term, like if you're in a keeper league, a dynasty league, and you've got fielder, I think it's a decent time if you're not in it this year to to go get a big haul for him. Um, I think that um, you know your your chances to sell high on a slugger like this sometimes uh, go quickly. Um, I mean, if he, if he, if the neck flares up and all of a sudden he's on the 15 day DL next week, then you, you then your chance is gone. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that, uh, if you're in a keeper league, this is the time to think about selling him. If you're in a redraft league, uh, I would hold on to him. What I like about him is that he told me that he changed his ground ball fly ball mix when he went to Detroit, uh, in order to accommodate for the park and the fact that they weren't, balls weren't going to leave the park the same way they left in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that his home runs, his gr- ground balls per fly balls went up uh, big time in Detroit. Uh, they were the two worst, uh, you know, worst of his year of his career in terms of uh, for power. Um, you know, you would normally want more fly balls for power. So then he came to Texas, and I wanted to watch that number and see what it did. But of course, he wasn't healthy last year, so you can't really use last year's number. Um, so I think that this year you can see he's hitting more fly balls. Um, and uh, he's doing it with the with the you know traditional fielder um, you know good play discipline, um, decent spray mix um, you know so I, I I think this is fielder this is this is fielder enjoying Texas finally and enjoying his health and um, you know this is going to be one of those good years on his on his resume. 
Excellent. I, I, I like I like the analysis there. I'm with you in terms of the keeper league situation. This is the time if you if you are considering dealing him at all. This is the time. Uh, but otherwise, I'm holding and and even considering buying. I think Fielder is a superstar. Uh, he's running healthy. Get on get on the train if if you will. I think we could realistically see a, a 40 homer season here, something we haven't seen from him all the way since 2009. That's going to be the high end. Obviously that means everything uh, breaks right and he stays healthy. But even at the, even if he doesn't reach quite uh, that apex, I still think we're talking about a 30 something homer season with quality uh, runs and RBI totals. And of course a, a good batting average, maybe not 365, which leads the AL right now. All right, you know, we got to talk a little bit of bullpen news here, and then we'll go ahead and get out of here. Sean Doolittle is expected back uh, tomorrow. Actually, I think it's today. Uh, I put tomorrow in the list, but I thought it was, I think it's May 26th that I saw on the listing. Yeah, that would be today. Yeah, I hope to see him in the uh, in the locker room. I'm, I gotta I gotta leave like right now, but uh, so, hopefully well, I'll, he, I'll have something to report on that. He's expected back. He's going to be eased into the situation. Um, what do you do with Tyler Clippard right now? Let's let's just ask that. You got to hold Tyler Clippard, and you got to wait for velocity readings on Doolittle because he he was 90 miles an hour in the first couple outings, and I love the guy to death, but that's not I don't think without you know he doesn't have a great slider, he doesn't have a great secondary pitch. That's going to be rough on him. So um, you know he got it up to 92, 93 in his last rehab outing. That's I, that's I, encouraging at least. I think it's a little light still. I mean definitely. You know, the thing about him is high fastballs, 94, 95, 96 miles an hour. So I would really want him uh, to average, you know, at least 93, 94, um, you know, his first time out and, uh, and, and you know, start getting back to the old velocity. But it, it was an actual shoulder tear, so I'd be happy to see him back on the mound. Um, and that bullpen needs him pretty badly, even if he's not 100% old school Sean Doolittle. So, um, you know, either way, it would be a good day today. And uh, we'll see what kind of information we get from his outing today. Yeah, I remembered that you were saying he was at 90. You're you're seeing tweets. At least he's up. That's heartening that he that he's at least up. But yeah, he needs to be higher. Doolittle does to really feel confident about him getting back in that closer's role and dominating. Uh, he's going to be eased into it no matter what uh, in terms of getting it back. So even if he goes out for first appearance today and throw 94 95 i don't think that he's going to be the closer on friday i think it's going to be a situation where you know maybe two weeks um or at least maybe 10 days get a few appearances and then get eased back in then the last bit of news in, in bullpen news Feliz was dl'd with the ribs officially and then um it looks like you know it was going to be kind of a we're going to go with the matchups etc which is what they always say when there's a closer change but it looks like uh, Sean Tolleson is, is grabbing hold of that role and not letting go. He's got elite ratios across the board, strikeout, walk, ERA, whip, all of it's excellent. Since getting the closers role, or, or at least since it opened up, he's four for four with six strikeouts and four innings, just two hits allowed. Tolleson's been great. What do you think? How legit is this out of a, uh, out of a 27-year-old kind of out-of-nowhere reliever type? You know, when we first talked about him, I said Tolson, you know, we were talking about this in the Diamondbacks, and I said Tolson's going to be um, the more likely of the of these entire crews to take and run. You weren't and wrong felt, so far. Yeah, I felt kind of nervous the next day because Bur- Burhos, like, got a, I think he got to save the day we recorded that. Yes, after that. he, he and took, I was he like, took that first oh. one right away. Yeah, but then, you know, his wildness came back, and now his shoulders hurt, and guess who's pitching the eighth inning for the Diamondbacks? Reed. Yep, Addison yeah. Reed got a hold in the last time out. So uh, Reed's marching his way back to that closer role, I think. Um, 
And uh, I did buy one uh, share of Reed Low in a dynasty league. I may do another one. It, it takes uh, it takes stones to to buy a, a reliever low. <laughs> Especially, yeah, because Addison Reed. I mean, he's not even you know he he's not some guy who has some track record built up to where you automatically think it. So I agree with you. That does take some stones. One thing I will mention about that bullpen situation, I kind of made fun of uh, Brad Ziegler when he was, you know, when we were talking about that situation because he was striking out nobody. Well, he struck out eight in his last six appearances. And while I don't necessarily think that eight per six appearances is going to be his his level, he's kind of jumped all the way back up to his career level, in fact. Six per nine now, which is exactly what he has for his career. So he'll probably hold there he was at i think three strikeouts per nine ziegler was when i made fun of him so if he's getting six per nine that's still not great but it's doable and it it gives him a better chance to kind of oust somebody like reed whereas when he was at three and a half or whatever it was i say no way but i agree with you that reed is somebody that uh is going to sneak back up i think they want him in the role and so the fact that burgos his shoulders barking and ziegler is probably better as a seventh eighth inning guy anyway I could see Reed back in there within a, within a week or two anyway. So that's, that was a good buy low on your part. I know you got to get out of here, so let's go ahead and wrap it up. We'll be back on Thursday. Catch Eno on Twitter, at Eno Saris. I'm at Spore. Eno, have a good day at the ballpark, and we'll talk in two days. All right, thanks.